This week's guest is Dr. Jeff McCausland, a retired colonel from the U.S. Army. He is a former dean of academics at the U.S. Army War College. Jeff served for many years in leadership positions in the military, in the U.S., Europe, and of course, in the Middle East during operations Desert Shield and Storm, respectively. Jeff is a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, the U.S. Army Airborne and Ranger Schools, and the Command and General Staff College at Fort Leavenworth in Kansas. Jeff is co-author of a book called Battle-Tested, Gettysburg Leadership Lessons for the 21st Century. Now, what has this got to do with training? Well, the answer is lots. Because given what's happening right now, this humanitarian disaster in Eastern Europe, it's very timely to have Jeff on the show. Jeff is a frequent contributor to the media on all things military. And through the prism of leadership, Jeff has formed an amazing faculty of military leaders, academics, ambassadors, and around them built a training company delivering leadership and strategy principles. The company is called Diamond Six Leadership, and you can visit that website over at Diamond, D-I-A-M-O-N-D, 6-S-I-X, leadership.com. And today, Jeff's going to talk to us all about how he's built the company, the business opportunity that he saw in the marketplace for leadership training derived from his years in military leadership, what the early days of Diamond Six were like, the first clients, the first programs, why experiential learning is so inherently important to leadership training, and where he thinks Diamond Six is going to go next. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. It's my privilege to host another episode. Every Thursday, there is an episode on your podcast platform of choice. If this is your first time here, welcome. If this is not your first time here, welcome back. You would know by now that this is the show for people like you and me, the people who make a living from helping others through our programs, our workshops, our expertise, monetizing it, developing it, productizing it. That's what this show is all about. And it's my aim and my fortune to talk to some great people and to bring you their insight to help you on the journey of developing your brand and helping you to unlock the potential in the people that you make a living from training and developing. That's all kind of a long introduction, but Every Thursday, as I've said, there is one of those episodes waiting for you. Therefore, can I ask you please to subscribe right now? It costs absolutely nothing, takes a simple click, which helps you to be informed of episodes as they come out. And of course, validates what I and the team do in bringing you episodes of the podcast every week. So you'll find these and more on your podcast platform of choice, as well as on training business Dot com. This week's guest, as I mentioned before the music, is Dr. Jeff McCausland. And given the dreadful situation unfolding right now, it's very timely to have Jeff on the show to share his military background and how he has brought this experience to bear on the market and building around him this amazing faculty of highly talented, highly experienced, highly professional people to deliver leadership thinking 
to the market. Jeff, hi, welcome to the show. Mark, it's great to be with you. Where are you speaking to me today from? I am in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is a town of about 20,000 people, uh, just south of Harrisburg, the capital of Pennsylvania, in the south central part of the state here in the USA. And the reason I'm talking to you is actually quite timely, given the context. I'm speaking to you from Ireland, but what's going on right now actually concerns everyone. Everyone, uh, we're seeing a, a shift in in diplomacy in a whole range of areas. The reason that we're talking specifically today is because you run a leadership and strategy business, helping organizations to learn from the lessons of military leadership and other forms of leadership. Um, the company's called Diamond Six. Let's talk about the business opportunity that you saw in the marketplace for leadership training and your particular angle. Well, exactly, Mark. I mean, to quick, quickly, uh, it's a great pleasure with you. Uh, I might want to clear up one piece of ambiguity or curiosity, I guess, on people's part. Is why would you name your company Diamond Six? That's an odd name. It has nothing to do with jewelry, but actually that was my radio call sign when I commanded a battalion during the Gulf War of 750 soldiers. And we were part, if you remember that, we were part of the lead attack force for the U.S. and the 7th Corps, and obviously the most impactful uh, leadership experience of the, my entire life, and fortunately due to some outstanding leadership on the part of some young soldiers and lieutenants, we got through that without it losing anybody. We had some people get wounded, but we didn't lose anybody along the way. So that's sort of the, how this got started. How the opportunity occurred, you might say, was based on a couple of assumptions that I, I think are true. One is that Good leadership is good leadership. I don't believe you can necessarily put adjectives and say there's business leadership, there's educational leadership, there's military leadership, there's lawyer leadership. Now, I think by and large, good leadership is good leadership. And principles and concepts of good leadership stand the test of time. And the second sort of assumption I made along the way was that if you used uh, stories and historical case studies, it has an intellectual stickiness. We could talk about, you and I could talk about all kinds of concepts and principles of leadership, and we'd bore people to tears. But if we connected them with a particular story, then that has a certain intellectual stickiness to it that I think is important. And then a kind of the final assumption I, I had was that I really like working with adults and making sure that the experience is an active learning experience so they get involved with trying to deal with problems from these historical case studies. Because once again, for adults, uh, they come to that learning experience with their own you know, background of experience. And as a consequence, as they go through something new, like one of these seminars, that passes through the filter of that experience. And from the synthesis of those two things, their experience and that, that new thing they're going through, uh, comes new knowledge, and therefore the insights that they gain uh, are keenly important to them and where they're going to. So we always stress a lot the application phase. At the end of the day, we have to spend time talking about what did you learn and how are you going to apply it to your organization? Otherwise, this kind of becomes music appreciation. And how it all started, last but not least on this, was I was coming out of a position as the Dean of Academics at the United States Army War College, here in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where we take guys who and gals who have been very successful at military terms, what we would call the tactical and operational levels. In the civilian world, that'd be direct leadership and organizational leadership. And they're going on to positions of strategic leadership, 
And so our job is to help them deal with that new transition and a lot more ambiguity in what they were going to be doing and deciding as strategic leaders than they had before. <clears throat> so that really struck me as something I wanted to work on post-Army when I retired. And uh, I also thought there was real opportunity to do this, in particular, working a lot either with colleges or with educators, though businesses as well, but educators in particular, because I was encouraged early on to work in a program uh, trying to improve uh, uh, principles of New York City school districts throughout New York City, a mammoth organization of a million students and something like a quarter to a half a million employees. And they, they struck me, they said to me, you know, we've tried everything to improve education in America. We've tried smaller classes. We've tried throwing more money at it. We've tried high technology. And we're still not getting the results we think are necessary. And I said, well, have you tried improving the leaders that are running the organization, which seemed to be a novel idea. And that's where this all kind of began. Okay. What were the early days then like, your first clients, your first programs? Yeah, the, the early days were like any organization. We were trying to figure out what we were doing. Uh, like I said, the early days really began with a very serendipitous phone call from a colleague asking me to help with this project, working with these New York City principals. Looking back on it, I think we were kind of ragged to begin with, and pro probably everybody starting a business would say that. What I, what I learned from that was two things. One is there was a thirst for learning by these people in terms of the development, because while they had spent an awful lot of time developing their particular skills as educators, be they math teachers or history teachers or English teachers or whatever, we kind of made an assumption that, um, that through going through a period of time working in education, that then therefore you could run an educational institution. You know, we do that, uh, we do that in other fields. If you're a good doctor, you can eventually run a practice. If you're a good lawyer, you can run a law practice. And what I learned along the way was that's totally untrue. It's totally untrue. The skill set required to run an organization is different than those particular uh, areas of expertise. And, you know, the other thing in the military, which I had been part of for so long, is really the only corporate body that invests enormous amounts of money in taking officers back, putting them through a development experience, then sending them back to a higher level command, whether it's prior to going into commanding a company, you go to an advanced course, then you go command a company, then later you go back to a school and you learn what it's like to be a battalion commander or, or a divisional staff officer, and then you go do that, then you go to the war college, and then you go on, as I said before, to positions of strategic leadership. Now, that's very expensive, and there's no other real corporate body that has that sort of systematic career development model because it's so expensive. So as a consequence, there's sort of this implicit assumption that on-the-job training makes you a great leader. And, and frankly, I found that to be untrue. So there was a thirst among the educators and, and business people as well, I found. And also there was a need, and that's kind of where we began. We also, I think, at the onset, the bad news was that <clears throat> I didn't really understand this whole idea of making it an active learning experience, okay, and getting them involved. And so initially, it was more passive in which we would go through and talk about these particular case studies and use those to talk about leadership principles, but simply do it as sort of a lecture and do you have any questions periodically throughout the, throughout the seminars. And then I, I finally figured out, no, no, I, get, I need to get them involved, get them involved from the very onset 
uh, and that this has, I think, really exponentially improved our level of performance. So that's the experiential workshops that you have. So tell us about those because they're very much based around uh, the lessons learned from things like Gettysburg, Yorktown, and so on. I'm, I'm actually thinking uh, as we speak what lessons there might be learned from uh, the situation in the Ukraine, but that's something we'll look at uh, at some point before we wrap up today. So let's talk about the the, the kind of inspiration for experiential you know, learning. Yeah, I'd be delighted to talk about that. Uh, again, because of my military experience, I always, I always thought that, you know, um, if you look at, uh, if you take a group of well-educated adults from business or from education or any particular group of experience, uh, and if you took them, I always say, to any organization, corporation, uh, professional sports team, a government services organization, it really wouldn't matter what it was. But if you gave them free access to that organization to walk around, talk to people and kind of look and poke around, after a day or two, they could make pretty insightful comments about how well or how poorly it was run. But if they showed up on the day that the organization was going through a crisis, then good and bad leadership stick out in bold relief. Because what does a crisis do? Well, it compresses time. And leaders have to make decisions based on very short periods of time, oftentimes with not as much information as they would like. And frankly, how well or how poorly they have prepared their organization to deal with that crisis in terms of organizational resilience will also stick out in bold relief. Well, if you use that sort of principle, then it seems to me, if you talk about a battle, whether it's Gettysburg or the attack on Pearl Harbor or Yorktown, or I do the Alamo, um, what you find is these are, are crises for the organizations that are involved. There's no doubt about it. And as a consequence, you can use them as case studies to talk about these principles, which now stick out in bold relief. And then last but not least, of course, that has the added advantage of it's a story. And oftentimes, or certainly for Americans, uh, obviously, most people have some knowledge, surprisingly, sometimes not much, but a little bit of knowledge. You say Gettysburg, most people remember what that was, or at least what war it was in. Uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor still has a lot of resonance in people's mind. And clearly, if you go down to Yorktown and you talk about the founding of the country and this this important battle, which made the difference at the last minute between us becoming independent or remaining part of Great Britain. Um, so you can take advantage of their basic knowledge, give them a little introductory stuff to make them dangerous. And of course, uh, at each location, I combine not only a leadership facilitator to talk about the leadership insights and principles as we're going a long way, but a certified historian who really knows that particular event in detail. So they kind of do a duet in terms of presentation. Historical you know, historian talking about a particular part of the event, an anecdote in chronological order, and then shifting over to the to the leadership facilitator who says, okay, you know, from that anecdote, here are the leadership principles and concepts that this illustrates. And then hooking into that, of course, a whole bunch of exercises, putting them in the role of individual leaders during that particular crisis. Now, this is not to make them military leaders. These are not tactical <laughs> choices. These okay. are leadership choices. Okay. So we're using video clips, um, group exercises, discussion. You have a leadership facilitator, uh, an historian. I'm looking at your website here, bringing the battle and its leadership lessons to you. This is not necessarily bringing people to Gettysburg, for example, but rather bringing Gettysburg to them. How is that achieved? Well, it's a bit of both. I'd say about half the time people come and we actually take them on the battlefield 
or I go, I've gone out to Hawaii a number of times. I'm supposed to go out here in May with a corporate group and do it physically on the ground or the Alamo. I've done that for corporate groups. Uh, and when you do it in those kind of locations, it has a certain resonance, right? I mean, um, if you're standing on the deck of the battleship Arizona, which was attacked and, and exploded within the first five minutes at Pearl Harbor and over half of all Americans killed in the attack on Pearl Harbor remembers that one crew. If, if you're standing on the deck of the Arizona and you're talking about what does it take to build a team and build cohesion amongst the team, and that doesn't resonate a little bit with you based on where you physically are, then I always say we need to check your heartbeat to make sure you're still <laughs> living. So um, those, those are ideal. But a lot of times we will take, the, as you say, the experience to them by using video clips and the like. Sometimes we kind of pick a hybrid in between. By that, I mean Pearl Harbor lends itself well to that. Here in the United States, in the UK, you have it as well. In the UK, they have it as well. They have a number of museums, which are old naval vessels in the, here in the United States. For example, on the East Coast, there's the battleship New Jersey, Philadelphia Harbor, now a museum. West Coast, there's the battleship Iowa, which is in Long Beach, California, outside of L.A., which is a, fl a floating museum. So what I've done is contracted with those particular museums for Pearl Harbor, for example, and done that aboard aboard the ship using the the officer's mess, which in most cases has been converted into a classroom. And that, and that also, based on the environment of learning, I think makes it resonate a bit more with the participants. Yeah, that's extraordinary. So two things really s stand out to me as unique selling points here. Uh, the first idea is experiential leadership. And I found that um, people deliver leadership programs sometimes in an inert environment. There, there's a story missing. I've been on the Pampanito in San Francisco, the submarine. And I can imagine how that just sends shivers up my spine thinking this was actually in action. What were the lives of people like on board this vessel? What decisions did leaders have to make in such life or death situations? And I was also, since you raised this, um, on board the Victory Nelson ship, I think it was, in uh, in Portsmouth in, in the UK. And again, you get the sense of, of time and, and transporting yourself into the shoes of people how intrinsic is experiential learning to communicating leadership lessons? Well, I think it depends on the audience. It's not absolute, I've got to be candid, but I think it's the most effective. And the feedback I get, you know, indicates that. Because not only does it illustrate the point for the individual, particularly if you take groups, let's say they're from a particular, I work with large school districts, big education associations, work with a number of very large corporations here in the United States, multi-billion dollar corporate groups and their leadership teams. When they do it together, <clears throat> then there's a commonality of experience, which I think helps the organization to grow. Because again, they're, we're trying to force them to connect the dots, not only between the concepts that they're learning, but what does this mean for us? You know, and I always tell clients of mine that I insist on us getting together at least, you know, by Zoom or something a few months prior to the event. And I say, you know, what, what is your objective? What are you trying to accomplish? And it's stunning to me, Mark, a lot of times when I do that, these guys and gals will look back at me and they'll say, well, we want to have a leadership workshop. And I said, well, I got that. I understand that. But what, what are you trying to accomplish? What's the problem? What, what are you trying to make better in your organization? Because your organization is different than any other organization, and you, you know far more about it than I'll ever know. So you got to explain to me what are you trying to achieve? 
Are you trying to achieve, achieve better teamwork and cohesion amongst the group? Are you thinking about the future and you want to talk about strategic planning, how we think about the future? Do you have a certain level number of, of, of new people in senior positions and you think developing them and bringing them together and bonding them as a team is important? Are you going to identify people at the mid-management level who you think have shown the qualities and attributes to be C-suite type folks and we want to put them through an experience as part of their development? So, you know, whoever's my client, I always tell them, this is your workshop. It's not mine. It's yours <clears throat> um, in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. So tell me what that is. And we can, the beauty of historical experiences, there's so much, so, so much you can talk about that we can calibrate it to focus on those things. Because ultimately, what, what I find my biggest challenge, quite frankly, is, is coming up with what principles I'm going to talk about during a particular workshop, because otherwise I can just bury them in so many things, you know, <laughs> we, we, you know, as we're going along, we usually, you know, stop at, you know, several locations, for example, either doing that fit physically or through film. And at each one of those stops, I've learned that I can only really talk about probably three concepts max before they hit intellectual overload. What I've learned is, you know, I better get to them in the first five or 10 minutes of the workshop. Otherwise, they're going to tune me out and start looking at their, at their cell phone. I mean, I, that's, I'm being blunt here. <clears throat> so as a consequence, that means the quality of the instruction has got to be great. And the instructor has got to be credible. And unfortunately, um, that's a tough thing to find both those things together. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of people who have been in senior positions and done a lot of big things but unfortunately do not have the skills to be to facilitate or teach a seminar. And there are a lot of people that can facilitate and teach a seminar, but they don't have the real life experience to combine the concepts and principles with real life events. And what I've been striving to do is, is combine those two things. So that's, that's really important. Number two is obviously to run this business. It can only work if it's not just me. So I, obviously if you're going to make it at anything of scale, You've got to go beyond yourself. And number three is you've got to also acknowledge not only is that a physical problem, it's an intellectual problem. So I talk to my faculty and I say, okay, talk to me about the following for yourself. You know, what are the one or two things, concepts, areas of leadership that you really find most fascinating that you tend to study on a regular basis? Is it effective communications? Is it organizational culture and change? Is it emotional intelligence? Is it team building? Is it leading yourself and the whole idea of, you know, executive wellness? Uh, and then I know where to play them. And then as back to what I said before, when we do a workshop, it's not a, it's not a set piece affair. I talk to the client, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? And we figure that out. And then if we're doing a multi-day affair, at least one day will be an experiential learning model like we, or a seminar like we've talked about a couple of times here. And then we'll plug in on the following days, X number of seminars, which are now focused in those areas that the client have identified they think they have need. And obviously then it's my responsibility to marry them up with the best expert on my faculty in that particular area. Okay. Okay. And if you've, um, on the back of that, that, that those fellow travelers or the relationships you've formed, you have an extraordinary faculty that's uh, obvious from the caliber of people on the website. Uh, we'll not list all the names, but extraordinary uh, backgrounds. 
In terms of another collaboration, in this instance with Tom Vossler, you've written a book called Battle-Tested Gettysburg Leadership Lessons for 21st Century Leaders. And I think we'll allude to something contemporary in a moment. But before we do that, let's talk about the lessons that are contemporary, uh, relevant to people in every context, not just military, academic, and so on. What, what ones come to mind of those 12 that, that resonate most with you, Jeff? Well, I think there's, a, there's several. One, we have developed a model we use. We call it leadership in four directions. And, and one of those it talks to, you know, how, how do you lead others? Okay, well, that's the one most of the literature is all about. But we talk about it in a bunch of different ways in terms of it's essential in leading others that you are a person of character and a person of competence. And we told, we talk about seminars on why it is important for a leader to be ethical. <clears throat> um, and that's at first blush, some people might say, well, that doesn't seem to be all that critical. And I say, no, it truly is, because I firmly believe that, you know, that that trust in a leader is a function of do I think I can this person is ethical and this is this person competent. If they're incompetent, I might like them a great deal, but they're dangerous to be around. If they're unethical, they're, they're going to make choices that are best for them, but not best for the organization. So if trust is the bedrock of leading an organization, I think it is, well, then then that glues the leader to the organization, then I think ethics and competence are key to that. So that's leading others. Then we talk a lot about, about in the model about leading your boss, okay? And if you're a boss, creating a climate whereby you can be led. Because I've been around a lot of senior leaders, Mark, I'm sure you, you are as well, who can make the fatal error unconsciously to get them into a bubble in which only good news gets to them and this can lead to real disaster. Quite candidly, I think this is what has happened to our good friend Vladimir Putin. I think for the last couple of years, he has put himself into a bubble and created a climate that nobody's going to come in and tell the emperor he has no clothes on. Unfortunately, that has led to a disaster for the world right now and hopefully a disaster for him personally. So creating a climate whereby you can be led and also realizing you have a responsibility to lead your boss. I always say, you know, um, it doesn't do any good for someone metaphorically to come to you as the leader of an organization and say, hey, boss, we're six inches from an iceberg. That's interesting. It's just not terribly useful. Six miles from an iceberg. Now, that's interesting and that's useful. OK. <clears throat> and then the third area is what we call um, <clears throat> um, leading or being led by others, leading or being led by your peer group in particular. Uh, this is particularly important. We know for young people, we know peer group have a greater impact on young people almost than anybody else, let's be honest. It particularly resonates in professional groupings. If you talk about lawyers, you talk about doctors, or you talk about educators, or you talk about soldiers, sometimes their dilemma is where does my loyalty lie to what the organization says its values and its mission and purpose is, or it, my loyalty to my colleague, my fellow soldier, my fellow doctor, my fellow priest, whatever. And those can cause uh, real difficulties. And ultimately, in a crisis, the cohesion of the group, the cohesion of the peer group is what holds it together when things are difficult. And I say to folks, and I've checked this out, if you talk to educators right now or you talk to healthcare professionals who have really, really been stressed by the pandemic, every one of them can talk about a nurse, a doctor, uh, a whatever, or a bus driver, a janitor, a teacher, or whatever, who at the onset of 2020 was scheduled to retire based on age, 
but have made the decision, no, they're not going to leave because they're not going to let their teammates down. They're not going to let their teammates down, their peer group. Uh, they're going to hang together. So that's leading and being led by your peers. Then last but not least, and perhaps most important, recognizing that we all have, we all lead ourselves. You know, uh, sociologists would tell you that the average human being makes 500 or more decisions every single day on first whether or not to hit the snooze alarm at the very beginning. <clears throat> but it, it was key in that is a certain amount of self-awareness. And this has to do, obviously, with your physical health. This has to do with your relationships with your family. Uh, th- th- this has to do with taking care of those things that you like to do that make you you and try and find a harmony between those things. Because obviously, if you don't, we're all fragile. And back to that leading during a crisis, when will that fragility show itself? Well, under periods of great pressure, that's when people crack physically, emotionally, mentally, or whatever. Uh, And that's obviously bad for them and obviously bad for organizations. Before we wrap up then, Jeff, what is the near roadmap like for Diamond Six? What's around the corner for the business? Yeah, you know, uh, we always say that in the symbol for crisis in Chinese are two symbols that are brought together. One is danger and one is opportunity. And that certainly was the case for Diamond Six when the pandemic hit, because we were primarily, if not exclusively, dependent on in-person events. And of course, that all ended in the flash in the spring of 2020. And for about the next two years, uh, those were very limited indeed. As a consequence, we almost went under, I'll be very honest with you. But I had some really enterprising people on my staff who quickly shifted gears and began doing, you know, online presentations and learning using all the new technologies, Zoom and whatever, created new products for our clients, worked very hard to keep the existing client base alive. And now we have survived that. So from that crisis came opportunity. So where we're heading now, I think, is much more of a hybrid delivery where we will still do the physical delivery uh, on the field. We will, to people who don't want to come here or meet me at Pearl Harbor or Yorktown, we'll take it to them. Uh, And then thirdly, we'll do more and more in the online, but it has to be an online now um, that is a participating online, an interactive online. It's not the the e-learning model of the past, which was I put some, I hung something online and you read it and you had a workbook and you filled it out. No, no, that's a very passive model. We've got to have an online model that's more active and reaches clients with more focused uh, topics and concepts to, to deal with their real day-to-day problems. How would that work then? How would you develop those, price those, and deliver those? Well, we're, we're already delivering them, and we're delivering them uh, in a couple of different ways. One, we set up as a leadership masterclass, which is particularly designed for busy leaders. It's set up to operate across a six-day, a six-week period of time. We can expand that time or contract that time. Adjusting the timing of delivery, I find, is is one thing you've got to be prepared to do to meet the, the schedule of the of, of the busy client. One of the real things that we find that that one is useful for is a number of our clients are really working hard at the identification, again, of those people at the mid-management level who either need to have more development to make them more effective, as well as are looked upon to be the people to move up to positions of increasing responsibility. So how do we how do we develop them? And that is developed for them. And then we've got a number, number of focused online programs. One we're rolling out here very shortly on um, leading yourself, which is a four or five and more of an individual development program where individuals would subscribe 
and uh, and in, 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 uh, because they want to focus on how do I seek you know this harmony between the requirements of leading myself as well as the other things I have back to that model leading others leading my boss etc. And then the third thing we've been partnering with the Center for Strategic International Studies down in Washington who have put together for many, many years and continue to develop a very futuristic looking out to the year 2050, saying, where will the world be? And so we've put together as a, a multi-week program of about four weeks in which we talk about how do leaders think about change, dealing with change, and frankly, making the future as opposed just to reacting the, to the future. The basic premise being, that none of us are going back to December of 2019. This wasn't just a bump in the road. This is a, a major inflection point in how work is delivered and how and what we do. And we and organizations that don't understand that and realize we need to think through strategically what direction we're going in a fast-changing world. And not only do we need to think that through at the top, we need to create mechanisms whereby we get input from the people we have working for us now. So we just finished yesterday, as a matter of fact, for a major corporation. They identified about 20 uh, mid-levels, upper-level uh, leaders all across the organization. We put them through that, that uh, four-lesson four program, used this CSIS presentation looking at the year 2050, and then challenged them with the following question. What did you get from this about the future? What things about the future that were identified here that you think your corporation should start working on now as it prepares to confront that reality. That reality will arrive, and we can either prepare for it now or we can just react to it when it hits us. Better off to prepare. And they gave a, some stunning presentations working in small groups yesterday uh, to their senior leadership of the corporation making their recommendations as well. So that allows the, the, the senior leader, the strategic leader, the corporate leader, to get input external to which direction he or she should go for their organization, input from their C-suite uh, uh, leaders, but then input as well from the organization below as they try to then formulate a vision and direction for the organization now in a really dramatically changing world. Where can people find out more about you, Jeff, and, and, the, and the team? You have a wonderful team, Holly and co. Yeah, the best, the best thing is for them to... Um, to go to our website, www.diamond6, and the six is spelled out, S-I-X, www.diamond6leadership.com. Uh, and we would be delighted to, uh, they can see everything we do right there in terms of our experiential leadership workshops, online programs, more information about the book Battle Tested. And in fact, if they send me a, if they decide to purchase the book and send us an email at info at diamond6leadership.com, I will be happy to uh, autograph them a book plate and mail it off to them for them to place inside the book. Fantastic. <laughs> Might even do that myself. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff, so much for being my guest today on the show. Mark, it's been a pleasure. A big thank you to Jeff for taking the time to speak to us today from the US. And thank you to you for tuning in. It's my pleasure to bring you episodes like this one. So if you've got suggestions for the kinds of authors like Jeff or the kinds of leaders or trainers or people you'd just like me to have on the show to share their insight, their expertise, their view with you, it would be my pleasure to do so. If you've got suggestions for the kinds of content 
for this podcast or trainingbusiness.com, please drop me a line. You can contact me directly via my email address, which is mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read all emails personally and reply individually. Until next Thursday, when there is, of course, another fresh episode of the podcast waiting for you. Keep safe, keep training, keep going. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.